Holy Spirit of the living God, we invite you into our midst this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would speak through your word and that you would enable us, Lord, with your grace to give you our undivided attention. Lord, I pray that the words that I speak uh, would only be the vessel that carry your power and your truth. Lord, thank you that you have many things to say to us. We now give you our undivided attention, our hearts, our thoughts, our minds, and our desires. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, The joys of living on the train tracks. Uh, for the first year of our marriage, we lived in a, a, a pretty, uh, what you might call shady neighborhood in Flint, Michigan. Um, there were uh, at least two drug houses on the street, honey, and at least one boarded up house where squatters lived. It wasn't the greatest neighborhood in the world, but man, was it a deal of a rental house. Uh, but we lived there, you know, you're working on a, uh, living on a waiter's salary, you, you do these things. And so, uh, we, we've, we've seen some things. Well, uh, one night in the middle of the night, about two in the morning, our, we had two dogs at the time and they were just barking furiously. And I thought that I heard a door rattling and I thought, oh, great. Well, so I instantly got out of bed and my instinct was, now here's what happened. Okay. I'm not being political about guns, but somebody that I had been ministering to was living an, an unstable life and asked me to, t- to take a 12 gauge shotgun for them. And so I had it in my closet and it was loaded and I grabbed it and we were upstairs in the bedroom. I woke up Hannah. I think she was like, huh? You know, it's like nothing will wake her up. I said, I think someone might be trying to break in. The dogs are freaking out. And I walked down halfway down the stairs and I've got a look. I'm not even kidding you guys. I have a loaded shotgun. I'm aiming it out the front door. I said, I've got a gun. I will shoot you if you come to this, this house. And, um, it turns out, I think the dogs just saw like a dog outside that they were barking at or something, but, and thank God, because if I would have tried, I'd never shot a shotgun in my life. I probably would have blown a hole in the ceiling and landed on my rear end. But, uh, we realized that we did need to be prepared because of the neighborhood that we lived in. If somebody were to break in, what would protocol be? Um, it is Advent, and so we're thinking and associating Advent with preparedness, with being prepared for the return of our King, and rightly so. But Advent is also about the eternal future that God is calling us forward into when His Son, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, returns to the earth to establish His kingdom, and we as His sons and daughters will inhabit it. That is the glorious future that we are called forward uh, remember, Jesus says, it is your heavenly father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So for God, the thought of sharing uh, of giving us a share in his eternal kingdom makes him happy. He has no greater pleasure than to share his inheritance in all that he has with his sons and daughters. However, there is undeniably a way that the Bible calls us to live as his people so that we would walk in the fear of the Lord. Now, what does the fear of the Lord mean? Does it mean that you're scared of God? Absolutely not. Because the fear of the Lord actually will draw you close to the Lord, seeking that you are obeying him, walking in his ways and knowing that his blessing, his protection and his favor is on you. Right. We're talking about God here. And so having a holy reverence of who he is and that he will uh, come again to judge the living and the dead is an important thing for us to grasp. Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
It is how you become wise for righteous living, is to have a proper fear of the Lord. Now, the idea of the fear of the Lord is, is in many Christian circles, is practically non-existent in preaching today. But when you read passages like we hear from the gospel from Jesus today, I don't know how you can get around talking about and, and actually embracing the idea that it is important to live our lives cautiously and carefully in the fear of the Lord. So I want to build this out. Let's look at Matthew chapter 24. Jesus says he's talking about his return, right? Because he tells us the return of the son of man. He says, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Okay. Jesus is saying, dad didn't even tell me. So don't think that you can guess when it's going to happen. You see, I think this is such an important idea for people to hear today because there's this idea out in the world that you can kind of plan out your salvation. Well, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and that he is, you know, God and all that stuff. But there's this life in the world that's really calling me to it that I really, really enjoy. And I know that maybe God's people aren't supposed to live that way, but I'm going to go right, you know, maybe when I'm 70 or 80, I'm going to kind of say, God, you know, I did some things, I'm sorry, and whatever. And Jesus says, don't think you can pull a fast one over on the living God, right? You should not live that way um, because... That is religion. That is trying to come up with a human system that manipulates God to serve our purposes rather than surrendering to him and living for his purposes. And what God wants is relationship with us all throughout life. He's not a get out of Jesus isn't a get out of jail free card that we get to flip at, at, at the end of our lives. Right. You never know when you're going to meet him and we never know when he's going to return. And so Jesus is calling our attention to that, that what God wants with us is relationship. You see, Christianity, the center of what Christianity is, the center of Christian theology, if you will, is union with Christ. It is our complete union and participation in the very person of the eternal Son of God, that we live in Him and He lives in us. That's the center of Christian life. God is focused on relationship more than he is religion. This is why Jesus says many people who are really assured of their salvation, but actually lived in lawlessness, when they meet him, God will say, what? I never knew you, right? It's about relationship. It's about, do we know God and, and are we known by God? So Jesus goes on and he, he, he reiterates the story of Noah and he says, this is what it's going to be like. There's going to be people who are, uh, just living their day to day lives, getting on with things, distracted by the things of this world, uh, eating, drinking, partying. Let's eat meat, eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. And he says, just like the flood came unexpectedly upon people who were rebellious and wicked in their ways. So it will be at the son of man's return. There will be a sweeping away of the wicked and the unbelieving. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that how distracted we become in our day-to-day lives is actually an issue that Christians need to take very, very importantly. We talked about this uh, in our Sunday school class this morning. Distraction is one of the things that the enemy uses to keep us blinded from following the Lord. I, I saw a representative image of this that just hit me. It was like I felt like I was in a dystopian novel or movie about the end of the world. I was at Cranes Roost Park one night and I looked around and nearly everyone who was there, probably maybe two 
200 people throughout the whole park. Nearly everyone was doing this on a phone or an iPad. And I thought, this is crazy. I'm not saying anything about screens. There are good and holy purposes that they can be used for. I'm not saying anything about screen time. I'm just saying it was a representative image to me. It was like being in a sci-fi movie of how distracted we are by the pleasures and entertainment of this life. And it's a major, major thing that some of us really need to pay attention to how we spend our time. Facebook is a wormhole that you can get stuck in if you're not careful, is it not? We've all been there. Clickbait. Now, all of this begs the question, Jesus, these are difficult things to wrestle with, the fear of the Lord and knowing that God will come again to judge uh, the living and the dead. But it begs the question, well, aren't I saved by grace? Doesn't the Bible say that I'm saved by grace? So what's all with this? I got to live this way and fear God and all that. I'm already saved by grace. Yes, the Bible does say you're saved by grace. Ephesians chapter two says this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. But we have to understand grace rightly because there are distorted teachings out there in the Christian church about what grace is. You might call it hyper grace, that God's grace is like some kind of just absolute pardon once and for all. And he never, ever notices when you are in rebellion against him again. That's not the biblical view of grace. The biblical view of grace is that it actually, when it's received, it actually brings about transformation. Grace is, is not, grace is not just, uh, again, like a get out of jail free card. It's actually the power of God for transformation. Friends, if Christianity is not about that, I don't want to have anything to do with it. I don't want churchianity. I don't want Sunday religion. I want a God who can change my life so that I'm not the person I was 10 years ago or a year ago or yesterday. Amen? Don't you want a God who changes your life, makes it better, gives you, uh, helps you to live more like His Son? That is what I want, a Christianity with power, a religion with power. You know, the church is in such decline in our day and age, and it's no wonder. Do the lives of Christians look any different than the rest of the world? If people didn't know that you came to church on Sunday, would they know you were a Christian? Would they know that you lived differently? Are you marked by the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, self-control. And is my life marked by the power of the Holy Spirit? Because the power of the Holy Spirit builds on the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is character. The power and the miraculous gifts of the Spirit build on that. Don't go to God and say, I want miracle gifts, but then have a life of uh, sexual immorality and profane language and the stuff you watch and read is just grieves God's heart. You've got to work on the fruit of the Spirit first, letting Him produce in you godliness and godly character. That's the foundation that, that power grows on. But I digress just a little bit here. But you see, if grace is at work in our lives, what we'll find is that we're growing closer to Jesus all of the time, closer and closer to Jesus, growing in the fear of the Lord, a healthy fear of the Lord. You see, when God justifies us by his grace, right? The Bible says we are justified by faith. That means declared righteous, right? God, by, by, by an act of his, his son, by a, an act of his supernatural power, he declares us righteous, even though we weren't. But when God justifies us by his grace, it's an, uh, it's an act of liberation. 
It's an act of freedom. He sets us free from our enslavement to our passions, to our unhealthy love of this world, and enables us to love what he loves and to share in his heart by placing his own spirit within this, in us. Say, I'm a temple. A temple. That's a holy place. Sacred ground. Holy ground. This is where God dwells. It's an amazing thing. Now, when we talk about the fear of the Lord and coming judgment and that God will, 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 will stand before him and give an account, we have to be careful about what I call the Santa Claus mentality. Okay? He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Jesus Christ. No. It, because, but people really, I'm serious, they think about it like this. Well, I've got to get my good deeds to outweigh my bad deeds. And if my good way, deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then God will let me in or, or whatever. That's not biblical. That's a Santa Claus mentality. Let me tell you what I mean by that. When God saves us by his grace, what he is doing is he is restoring us to our original intended vocation to be his image bearers in the world to shine his light, his character, his nature, his purposes to the world around us. That was what he gave Adam and Eve to do. And he said, be fruitful and multiply and rule over all of this. Go bear my image. Go be my representatives in the world. And they, they, they messed it up. But in Jesus, who Paul calls the new Adam, he faithfully lives it out. He faithfully takes the vocation and lives out and is the perfect image bearer of God. And when we come to him and we unite ourselves to him by faith and baptism, we're united with him and therefore we have been restored to our original vocation. That's exciting. We get to be God's representatives in the world. What kind of job are you doing? What kind of job are you doing? I have to ask myself that question all the time. You see, the Christian life, hear this, the Christian life is not about how much power I can muster up to conquer the sin in my life. It is about who I am in union with Jesus Christ who transforms me by living his life in and through me. You see the difference? One is me and my strength. I'll get to heaven by my own power and defeating sin. One is that Jesus has conquered sin once and for all and now he's living his life through me and I'm united with him and so thus I can conquer sin and immorality and the things that grieve God's heart, right? It's about a new vocation for life and it's so easy to miss that. Now, I want to just talk about a couple, a few practical considerations when we reflect on this gospel text today. Um, A question that we need to ask is that, am I determined to let Christ, to let Christ eradicate the, the immorality from my life? Am I determined in that? Or am I a person who says, well, God's grace, yada, 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 you know, yeah, we sinned, no big deal. Or am I really committed to walking in holiness in union with Jesus Christ? There's a couple things that I want to hit on because they both kind of come up in one way or the other in Paul's uh, letter to the Romans that we heard from today. Uh, He talks kind of about the party lifestyle and then a few of the words that he uses deal with sexual immorality. So there's a couple things that I just want to talk about specifically and hone in on for a second. One is um, addiction. Now, we, we have a tendency to label our addictions as how I unwind. We do. We label some of our addictions and we justify them that way. This is how I unwind. But what happens is that they become such a routine part of life that we give up on battling in them and we just accept them as normal. Guess what? God did not change his mind about being enslaved to things of this world, even if we do. 
And so addiction is something we have to take seriously. Now, now you might not be addicted to heroin or cocaine or something, but are you addicted to food that's destroying your body? I know I wrestle with this, friends. God's dealing with me with it right now in my life. He, t- he dealt with me with the problem of alcohol last year. And as uh, John Calvin, the reformer, said, our, the human heart is like an idol factory. It just keeps pumping out one and reproducing one after another. Well, what's my new idol? Oh, snacky, junky food, watching too much TV, those things. And God is dealing with, with me. It's so easy to be doing well for a while and then slip back off on the slippery slope and get back into these unhealthy practices and, and habits. God, gluttony is described as something that God is not okay in God's eyes. And so, so for some of us, it could be food addiction. Some of us, we, we, we take uh, medication for ailments that we have, but what we do is now to unwind, we pop one of those when we don't really need it and we have a drink with it, right? That's how I unwind. I need the medication. It's prescribed. It's legal. You know, it's not like I'm buying it from a dealer. And we justify these kind of practices in our minds. We have little, we see how our hearts work, right? They deceive us a little bit. Oh, it's not a bad thing. It's just, you're just unwinding. Friends, God does not want us to be enslaved to anything. Uh, Addiction to even little things robs us of joy in Christ. God wants us to be free, completely free. We've got to give him those things, all of them, all of them. He calls us to. Now, the other thing um, is is just immorality, particularly Paul is addressing in Romans chapter 13 with a different, uh, he says carousing. I think in ours it says debauchery, but that, what that means is orgies, sex parties. They were very, very prevalent in Roman, Greco-Roman culture. And so Paul is talking to newly converted Christians and he's saying you need to leave that lifestyle behind. And what does he say? He, this is where this line comes from in our collect of the day today, where it says this, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. That, did you notice that comes directly from the Romans 13 reading? It's in, our, it's in our collect. So what's the armor of light? Well, Paul tells you at the very end of the passage, he says, put on the armor of light. And then later in the passage, he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh, right? So it's an idea, again, of intimacy with the Lord, Right? This isn't getting beat with a stick, right? You know, you, some of you went to Catholic school and the nun got you. That's bad against the Bible, right? That's not what God is speaking. He's saying that intimacy with Jesus means that these things can't be a part of our life. So I just want to hone in on this, this just for a minute. Let me just read you some, some statistics um, about pornography in our culture. Um, Over 40 million Americans are regular visitors to porn sites. The average visit lasts 6 minutes and 29 seconds. There are around 42 million porn sites, which totals around 370 million pages of porn. The porn industry's annual revenue is more than the NFL, NBA, and MLB combined. It is also more than the combined revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC. 47% of families in the United States reported that pornography is a problem in their home. Pornography use increases marital infidelity rate by more than 300%, destroys marriages and families. 11, 11 is the average age that a child is first exposed to porn, and 94% of children will see porn by the age of 14. It's true. It was for me in middle school. Do you think, friends, that we have a sexual morality problem in our culture? It grieves God's heart, and it should grieve our hearts too. And if that's something that we have indulged in, we need to repent of it and turn away from it. Not just say, I'm sorry, and do it a week later. 
It it grieves God's heart. It breaks his heart. It's also a a great influence in human sex trafficking. Some of the people in those videos don't want to be in them. It's a grievous reality. It breaks God's heart and it it, it, uh, infuriates him. I would say there's very much biblical precedent to say it, it very much incurs God's wrath when he sees this kind of thing. You see, in Scripture, God designed sex as a beautiful thing. We're not like Victorian era, ooh, sex, we don't. No, God, sex is beautiful. It's awesome. It's a reality that God intended for a man and a woman in a covenant partnership of marriage where there's the openness to the, the reproduction of life. And the Bible is so clear in so many places that sexual activity outside of that, including self-gratification, is, is fornication. It is against God's perfect and beautiful design for creation. Man and woman are fit together, literally, physically, and biologically. And to go against that is to go against God's design for creation. And it grieves his heart to see so many people indulging in it. And then a culture, many of whom are Christians, who are saying, yeah, go after whatever you want sexually as long as you're not hurting anybody. Friends, this is wrong. We need to repent of it. It is absolutely antithetical to everything that God's word teaches. It doesn't mean that you have to hate gay people or hate people who are living in sexual uh, sin. It means that you love them. But some of us, you see, we are actually more worried about social awkwardness than we are about telling it true sometimes. And, and I, and I, my heart is, 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 is tender on this subject because I have family members who, who are living lifestyles apart from God this way. But friends, you have to sometimes tell people, look, I love you. You will stand before God one day. I love you. I want to see him transform you. And, and you do it with grace and gentleness and, and love-saturated tears. You see, I don't want to, to, to see someone standing at the judgment seat of Christ and looking over at me and say, why didn't you warn me? Why didn't you tell me you had the opportunity? You just told me to keep doing it. You know, I don't want to be in that place. There is, a, there is a, a, a way to have a healthy fear of the Lord on all of these things. It will bring us closer to Him. You see, being scared of God drives us away from Him, but having a fear of the Lord drives us to Him to say, Lord, oh, I'm wrong about this. I shouldn't be living this way. I shouldn't be believing this way. I shouldn't be doing these things. I shouldn't be a participant in them because it breaks your heart. Friends, the Lord, the Lord wants all of our lives All of them. Now, friends, the gospel is good news. And we must never forget that. The Episcopal uh, priest and uh, well-known author Fleming Rutledge says this. She says, All the Advent preparation in the world would not be enough unless God were favorably disposed to us in the first place. Say, God is favorably disposed to me. That is the truth. The Bible is clear about one thing. It is that God lavishly loves sinners. He loves people who are living lifestyles that he does not approve of. And he wants to win them over to his love. Uh, Peter, is in one of his letters, he's addressing um, some scoffers who are saying, where's this God who supposedly is going to return? And he says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Rather, he is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. You see, God's heart is for this world in all of its brokenness and sin to turn from rebellion against him, to turn from unbelief, to turn from living in immorality and to turn towards him and to find the life that is truly life. That's God's heart. 
And I don't want to push anyone away from that. I will give an account big time as a teacher of the word when I stand before him. Friends, the, 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 Paul says in his letter to Romans somewhere else, he says, um, God proves his love, right? He doesn't have to. He says, God proves his love for us. How does he do it? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? He looked out on you. He looked out on me. Oh, I think about the life that I, that I lived. I was, over, I was overhearing a conversation in the yard next to ours on the other side of the privacy fence. Some young men were out. They had obviously been drinking and were telling stories. And the words that were coming out of their mouth describing sexual relationships with women and the things that the words and curse words they had used against police officers when they were arrested. And I started to feel this disgust in my stomach. I said, I want to go over there and first of all say, hey, excuse me, my kids are out here playing. But then I, then God said, that was you. And I loved you. And I rescued you out of it. And I thought, if I go over there, the only thing I'm going to do is go over there and tell them God loves them and, and, and lead them to the truth. Now, I, I had the kids, so that wasn't possible this time. I'm sure the Lord will give me ample opportunities at other times. You see, the Lord loves this broken world. And, but when we look at what Jesus says, he says, take heart. Look at how you're living. Take stock of how you're living because it's going to happen like that in the blink of his eye in his return. And so we, we have to ask ourselves, and this isn't scare tactics. It's learning what it means to fear the Lord. If the Lord returned right now, we should be saying this to ourselves all the time. If the Lord returned right now, would he be pleased with how I'm living my life? And we're sitting on the computer screens at night. The way we're talking when we're around non-Christian friends, would the Lord be pleased if he showed up right here and I saw him? Now, again, God is favorably disposed towards us, but his grace is a grace that brings us back into who he created us to be. God has a destiny for each and every one of you. For me, he has a purpose for us, but that purpose is to walk in alignment, to walk in union with him. And it's okay to have questions. It's okay to wrestle. It's okay to search the scriptures, and I hope that you do. But friends, there is a king and he is coming and he's coming with grace, but he's coming with truth. Now, believers, Jesus says in John chapter five, he said, those who believe in me have passed from out from under judgment and into eternal life. Right. And so a true believer, the signs of a true believer is someone who's living a life in accordance with what God commands in his word. Obedience. And it's a beautiful thing. Jesus always links obedience with joy. That's where joy is. Now, the, but believers, there's a, there's, a, there's a judgment seat of Christ, which in the Greek, the word is bima, it was the Olympic judgment seat where the athlete stood before the judge, where there is a, where there is a, a system of rewards in the heavenly realm when God will reward to each of us the things for the things that we did in this life. Now, if we have been saved from his judgment and condemnation through the blood of his son out of his love, then our life will be one that produces the fruit thereof. I, that's how I want to live. I don't know about you, but I know that my heavenly father is good. He rescued me out of a certain way of life so that I could live abundantly in him. Now, let me close with this. Before you get overwhelmed with, with everything that is wrong in your life, Recognize that God is not placing an intolerable burden on your shoulders. 
He's not placing an intolerable burden on your shoulders. He's seeking deeper fellowship with you. Listen to what Jesus says to one of the churches that he addresses in his letters in Revelation. We read a little bit of this last week. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Friends, this Advent, can we give him our ears, our hearts, our lives? Let's pray. Gracious God, we know that you are just that. You are a God of super abundant grace and mercy. Lord, but help us to wrestle with the fact that your word also says you won't leave the guilty unpunished, that those who continued wayward living apart from you, Lord, will receive the judgment from you. And so, Lord, for us in our own lives, help us to see those areas that are just not submitted to your lordship, the things that are keeping us from being fully free in you, Lord. I pray that you would show each and every one of us, myself included, the beauty of conviction, that your voice is not a voice of condemnation, it's a voice of conviction that brings us back to you, Lord. Help us to always know the difference between the voice of the evil one who seeks to condemn us. And Lord, I pray also for this church, this congregation, that we would develop such a heart for people who are lost in our family in our circle of friends, in our work communities, in our school communities, Lord, so that we would see the absolute importance of sharing your grace and your goodness with the world around us. Lord, we love you. This worship service belongs to you. So we ask now that you just move, that you'd be in our midst, Lord, and that anything that I've said that is not of you, you just remove it from our memory, Lord. But the things that have come from you, that you would plant them so deeply in our hearts, even as we worship today, that it would bring about the transformation in us that you desire and that gives us joy. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.